Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Building a Dream. In this podcast, I'm exploring the personal stories of 12 Dutch tech titans who relentlessly scale their tech businesses. My name is Leopold, and I'm the host of this podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Daniel Duivstein, who is the founder of GoPhoto. He has an incredible journey of turning a one-man paparazzi business into a very successful, fast-growing SaaS company, supplying a state-of-the-art attraction photography platform that sells millions of photos in the USA every year. The COVID crisis nearly killed his business, but he came back stronger than ever. He's an absolute challenger of established companies like Kodak and Pomfom, and he just closed a massive investment and joint venture deal with one of the top five USA-based entertainment companies. Apart from that, he's a proud daddy of two young children and the partner of a very ambitious woman. Today, he will share all his highlights, failures, and lessons with us. So, welcome, Daniel. <laughs> How are you this morning? Thank you, Leo, for this incredible introduction. <laughs> yeah, was was it a proper introduction, or uh, how would you like uh, to introduce yourself? I've, well, um, a little bit more humble than this, but uh, um, I'm thankful that uh, you see it that way. All right, great. So, uh, before we start, I'd like to propose you a couple of dilemmas, so our listeners uh, get a quick insight in your style and personality. Um, so, Daniel, happy clients or happy employees? Happy employees, of course. In the in the end, I think you need to um, focus on both. Um, but with a good team, uh, the happy clients will follow by itself. So I think um, your team is the number one. You should you should always stick um, as a as a leader behind your team, and um, yeah, then the clients will follow. Detailed plan or improvisation? <laughs> improvisation, um, yeah, for sure. Organized or chaotic? Chaotic. Team player or loner? Team player. Would you rather be poor but respected or filthy rich but with a bad reputation? Poor and respected. <laughs> <laughs> Easily distracted or hyper-focused? <laughs> Easily distracted. <laughs> Competing with someone or with yourself? Um, with myself. The USA or the Netherlands? USA. 10 million on the bank and an 80-hour work week? Or no business success, but full-time available for your kids? Full-time available for my kids. All right. Would you rather donate money to a charity helping animals or a charity curing a disease? Ooh, hard one. Uh, disease, I think. No climate change or no anti-Semitism? Well, <laughs> I was raised in an environment where anti-Semitism was a, a big topic. Um, but I think... Um, we can live respectful among each other. Um, climate change is irrevocable. So I'll go a hard one. I'll, I will go for climate change then. All right. Have you ever uh, had any anti-Semitic behavior when doing business? No, not doing business. Of course, when you're when they know you're Jewish um, and you're um, trying to get to a deal, and of course, you know you're gonna put your foot down. And then sometimes they joke about, you know, uh, that's a real Jew thing to do mm -hmm. um, to get the most out of the deal. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's anti-Semitism, um, but I, yeah, they do make those kind of uh, remarks, uh, which I don't really mind. Has being Jewish also helped you in a positive way doing business, maybe? Absolutely. In the end, uh, the Jewish community um, is always very open, um, you know, for doing business together. Uh, to introduce um, uh, one uh, to one each other, so I think that uh, definitely helped me with uh, getting into contact with uh, with 
entrepreneurs um, when I was still starting my own uh, business. My mentor was uh, someone from the Jewish community uh, that learned me, you know, how to um, run my first business. So, yeah, I think it definitely helped. All right, Daniel. In what kind of environment did you grow up? Um, well, I grew up in a very nice environment. Um, I always, you know, got everything uh, that I needed um, when I grew up. Um, my dad was an entrepreneur. He was a self-made man. He ran his own business. Um, he started really small. Uh, he had a telecom company, first uh, selling phones, um, and later on uh, anything that had to do with uh, with telecom. And he was always uh, in search of new products to bring to Europe uh, from Asia. And he was also the first one that introduced the cordless phone here in the Netherlands. Um, so yeah, that really uh, took a flight when uh, that happened. So mm -hmm. we did see the struggle when we were younger from a early entrepreneur mm -hmm. um, that my dad was then. But we also, um, uh, when I started, um, I think uh, high school, so around 13 years, um, the company of my dad took an enormous flight. So we also saw the other side of you know um, being successful. Mm -hmm. Was he hard for you? Yes, yes. He wouldn't uh, allow us to uh, any pocket money. He always told us, uh, everything you earn, I'll double. Um, so just let me know what you earned All right. and uh, I'll double it. And what was your first job? Um, delivering newspapers. I started that very young. I actually had two of them, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And uh, yeah, it was a good job. I liked it. All right. And why did you become a paparazzi later? Ooh, and the word paparazzi is a little bit of a negative five, maybe. <laughs> um, like to call the showbiz photographer. <laughs> um, it's a, actually a very long story, but I'll try to cut it short. Uh, when I was doing my studies, uh, media uh, and communication, I had to do an intern. Mm -hmm. And um, I got to work with uh, Sonoma, a really big publisher with a lot of different titles. And uh, when I started working there for a men's magazine, um, writing. Um, I got introduced later on um, for um, filming, making little videos for the online platform of a uh, showbiz magazine. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I started to do. And uh, at some point when uh, I made a little video of a scoop, uh, there was a couple that wasn't uh, known to the public yet, two famous celebrities here in the Netherlands. Um, they took stills from the video uh, and published them in the uh, in a magazine mm -hmm. and then they told me what I could invoice for those stills yeah. <laughs> and then I was why, why am I videoing this <laughs> um, when I could make stills and make about 10 times uh, the amount that I make with that little video so that and that at what age was that um, 23 yeah so at that point I bought a camera <laughs> uh, put the video um, a video recorder aside and uh, started to take photos of uh, celebrities it must have been excited times Yes, of course, you're still studying. Um, so this was after my internship. Uh, I, you know, I sticked with uh, Salama magazines, uh, working for different magazines, uh, titles there. Um, but yeah, as soon as you then start earning money, um, especially next to your study, um, yeah, that feels good. And you have just, you got your own little business going on. You make your own times. Uh, you meet a lot of nice people. Um, it's exciting. And how did you invest that first money? In a smart way? Uh, no, I think when I made my first uh, real money, um, I shot an international celebrity 
um, uh, that was topless and uh, that that photo actually um, yeah, made me a lot of money and I didn't invest it in a good way. No. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do with that? Uh, I went to the car dealer and bought a BMW X5 <laughs> and then went to another car dealer and blacked everything out <laughs> the rims the, the windows uh, everything that was chrome so definitely not a smart investment but when you're 25 and yeah make your first money then you do that um but that's what, something i would definitely advise not to do uh when you're a young entrepreneur um because that was uh, yeah not a good investment in the end but you probably felt great after that If, of course but it's a very temporary feeling of um yeah greatness maybe mm -hmm. um Yeah, but I think it's with all uh, physical things that you buy in life. Mm -hmm. well, what drove you to do business? And why didn't you, for example, pick corporate life? Because a lot of your friends, people around you have these corporate careers. So why did you want to start something for yourself? Um, yeah, like I said earlier, my dad started his own business. Um, he actually told us when we were young that working for a boss is failure. So <laughs> if right. you grew up uh, <laughs> that way, then it's really hard to... Um, yeah, look at a corporate life in a way that you know that 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 it's success. Mm -hmm. um, building your own business, um, he did uh, push us to work uh, at companies. You know, watching their kitchen, what they're doing, um, see how they're cooking, um, but learn from it uh, and take all that uh, and see how you can do better uh, within your own company. You know, there are a lot of takeaways when you work for a boss, but it's not the end goal. And that's what he learned us. So it was mostly. The, the pressure or your education that actually made it a no-brainer for you to search for a business, any type of business? Well, I think in, in the end, education is also a big thing here. Uh, I'm not a good learner. Um, I did study, um, but was more a necessary uh, yeah, to leave the house mm -hmm. um, and do something after my high school. Um, but I'm not someone that's really good in, in studying. Um, I also don't like, you know, the whole uh, hierarchy within this uh, big corporate. You know, you start at the bottom, work 80 hours a week uh, for a boss, and mm -hmm. the only thing you're, you know, wanting is, you know, for the week to be gone and you know weekends and everything else. Of course, people get a lot of high from that type of work as well. But creating your own business, creating your own product, uh, for me is, yeah, more valuable than uh, than a big salary. Was it also always your dream to have your your own business, or was it your father's dream that you are living right now? No, I think um, it was my own dream. Absolutely, we learned from a young age that you know making something yourself and to introduce that to to the world. Um, yeah, if, if you see that high happening, even if even if it's not my product, you know, when my dad. Um, build his own uh, phones uh, in Asia, would import them to the Europe and then sell them. And we would see those phones sitting on uh, tables uh, and in houses of friends uh, that we were visiting. Then you feel some type of pride. You know, you, people then can actually say to people, you see that phone over there? Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's my father, uh, father's company that, you know, thought of the design and all the electrics around it and build that in Asia, imported it. And, you know, now it's here sitting on your table. You're using it every day. Um, and that, that, that sense of pride that I already felt with the product that my dad and his team um, created. Um, yeah, of course, if you do it for yourself uh, with your team, um, then obviously the pride and uh, the satisfaction from that is a lot bigger. 
at some point you founded GoPhoto. And what is the problem that GoPhoto solves? Um, we provide a hardware and software uh, system for the entertainment industry, uh, theme parks, attractions. And the problem that we solve is that traditional companies uh, in our field, um, most of the time, they also operate the systems. So um, when you go to a theme park and a photo is taken and then sold to you, the whole technology and everything else is not owned by the park. Um, it's an outside vendor that's standing there. It's also their staff. And they take a big chunk uh, of the revenue and profit uh, from the theme park. Um, this is a really traditional way it always has been because it's a hard system to maintain. And with GoPhoto, we created a platform that we bring the power to the theme parks and attractions themselves. It's a super easy way to operate, uh, shoot, share, and sell photos within um, yeah, your park or attraction, uh, giving the power uh, to the attractions instead of um, letting in an outside vendor. So in the dilemmas, you answered that you actually uh, improvise a lot. So, so did you have a plan or did you just drift it in this direction? No, I think everything um, in my career is uh, drifting uh, <laughs> all the way up to this point. Um, after my showbiz uh, uh, photography career, uh, I really liked the event side of it, uh, going to these events, photograph uh, visitors that were attending those events. So uh, at some point, um, yeah, I didn't feel like being a showbiz photographer anymore. Uh, it was nice for a few years to do so, um, but then I switched uh, to event photography. And when I was taking photos at these events, a lot of people would ask me, hey, where can I see that photo? Um, and then we didn't have Facebook uh, back then. Um, so I would build little online photo galleries um, and then give a card to visitors and then we put the photos directly after the event online. And when they would visit uh, with this little card, this photo website, uh, they could see their photos and download it from there. So this is a little bit how it started. Um, uh, yeah, the whole company and the whole concept of sharing photos instantly or as fast as possible with someone. All right. So how did you get your first clients for this new product? Um, well, actually, um, uh, the first clients were directly also big clients. Um, I had contacts within uh, companies like Coca-Cola and Heineken and also in the event industry. And um, yeah, I thought of um, uh, taking photos uh, at big festivals, uh, put the brand on it and then directly share it with the visitors so they could share it again um, with uh, with friends and family and also the first social media platforms were coming up um, so yeah it would give a lot of exposure to those uh, brands so I went just to the big brands and told them hey I can create a really easy way to um, put out your uh, name during those events uh, interact with visitors and then also create content that they will then share with uh, with the world and uh, yeah the first clients uh, that we got on board were actually Coca-Cola uh, and Heineken so that was a good start and, and did that work well, that business model? Um, in the beginning it did, um, but it's uh, not really scalable. Um, events are short term. And um, so you would do maybe four, five, six events uh, during the summertime for one brand. And uh, they don't do long term 
contracts because activations and marketing they're always searching for the next best thing uh, that's out there so you do six events and then a year after or six months after when there's a new uh, activation program coming up you again have to pitch and you have to again come up with new creative ideas um, and our strength was more the technology of um, putting photos as fast as possible mm-hmm. um, you know in the pockets of the visitors um, and not the creative part so you pivoted to the entertainment industry yeah so we got the opportunity to um, uh, deliver our system to a observation tower uh, at a lookout here in Amsterdam mm-hmm. and um, that was the first um, big attraction that we uh, that we integrated a system where we would take photos seven days a week 12 hours per day uh, of all visitors that were coming in and uh, quickly we saw that it's a very challenging way of taking photos because yeah you need to provide all those visitors all these photos um, seven days a week 12 hours per day so um, it was a big challenge you know to make your software really stable um, to handle those amounts um, but then um, the strength you know behind uh, uh, me and also the team uh, came forward because uh, building a, a stable product uh, was more um, what we're actually were doing at that point so we pivoted to the to that industry and fully focused on hey how can we ba- build a system that's super easy to operate and can handle those amount of visitors every day all day long sounds like a, like a typical entrepreneurial journey um, A famous quote by Andy Grove says, bad companies are destroyed by crisis and good companies survive them. Great companies are improved by them. What have been the toughest challenges that you experienced along the way? Oh, there are many. I think uh, obviously COVID in our industry was a, was a big hit. Uh, you know, and not in a good way. <laughs> um, What did that mean for your industry? Well, actually, the visitors went from a lot to zero uh, overnight. All the locations were closed. All the locations were closed. Uh, We saw it happening. We had already uh, a location in Asia that closed. They were calling us, hey, you know, we're closing. And then we we thought, you know, that's in Asia, but we still have locations here in Europe as well and the US. So we're we're fine. But then obviously COVID came, came fast as well. So within two months, all the locations closed. And obviously, um, our business model is um, around, um, yeah, what visitors buy at the location. Um, you know, we get uh, royalties from that. So, so how much revenue did you lose that period? Um, I think uh, we went from uh, uh, over a million in revenue to literally zero uh, right. overnight. So, so how did you survive all those years being so terribly bootstrapped? Um, well, I think. In the end, back then, uh, I couldn't see uh, that it actually helped us um, build a better company. Uh, to be honest, uh, I felt really, I felt really down. Uh, it was a really hard period because you had to, you have to let people go. Um, you see so much work in front of you that has that feels like you did it for nothing, um, uh, and you you feel helpless. Um, so. It took about two, three months, and then we recouped as a team, and we went back to the drawing board. Because actually, when you build a SaaS company, um, your foundation, um, you start building your technology on top of that. And at some point, you think, hey, you know, maybe we should have started at the beginning building this in a different way. But because there are so many running clients already uh, hooked up to that platform, you cannot 
overnight and change uh, parts of your foundation because it would mean a lot of downtime, which is a no-go in our industry. Um, so we thought, okay, hey, what if we would uh, build the same company again? Would it look like you know uh, what we have right now? Uh, should have we done stuff differently? Um, and then we went back to the drawing board, and actually it felt really good. Um, we bootstrapped, but uh, it felt like a startup again. And were you confident that you would come out of this more successful? Yes, at some point um, I was, because um, you have to have that spirit of, hey, you know, I want to be at the starting line, not wounded and, um, um, you know, all beaten down. I want to be there, feel stronger, better, um, and show the world that, you know, once everything gets back up and running, that, you know, we've been doing our thing uh, and show them, hey, you know, we can do this and um, yeah, we are the best. So that, that felt that felt really good. And how bad did it get for you personally that period? Like, were you still able to, you know, get like a salary out of it? Uh, no, um, 10 months long, uh, uh, I didn't. Um, of course, uh, at this point, you try to keep your team as long on board as possible. Um, so uh, if you have the opportunity uh, as a leader, then I think the first thing you have to do is to cut your own uh, salary. Um, and make sure that the team around you sticks with you. Um, and that's what we did. And yeah, I, I had the luck that I could do that. You know, not everyone could uh, uh, could do that. So uh, for me, um, I saved some money. Uh, I had friends and family around me that, that supported me. Uh, my girlfriend has a really good job that went really well also during COVID. So um, she maintained a big part of um, um, you know what we needed to do every month. Mm -hmm. So that was a uh, that gave me the room actually to you know, keep on building the platform and keep the people on board that I needed uh, um, to get where we wanted mm -hmm. to go. And how did you keep your team motivated in that period? Because it was like a very you know insecure period actually for everyone. Uh, absolutely, I think uh, the biggest motivation here is that uh, we started reaching out to clients uh, that would would probably never pick up their phone if it wasn't for COVID. Um, suddenly everyone was free. Everyone was open to discuss anything. Um, normally, you know, big companies uh, would hang up the phone and say, sorry, you know, we already have an operator. We already have a, a supplier. We're not interested to talk. But at that point, everyone was free all day trying to, you know, get their business, uh, uh, keep their business together um, and also open for new ideas. And... Yeah, we shared that with the team. We shared the discussions we had with uh, uh, with new big clients, um, and also um, you know telling the team, "Hey guys, if we keep building what we're building right now, then we will come back stronger yeah. and we will have a better product." Yeah, and that happened actually, right? So after COVID, you told me that your company really skyrocketed. So what made GoPhoto so successful then? What is the secret yeah, to your success? I think the biggest difference, uh, difference of what we are doing right now um, compared to what we did before um, COVID, there are two things. One is we created our own hardware. Um, before we were a tech company only building software and using um, market available uh, hardware, computers, cameras, stuff like that. And we found out that's not really scalable. Your software is scalable, but because it's running on so many different devices, um, the hardware is not scalable. Uh, and the hardware is a really big part um, of our system. You need to make the photo and you need to print the photo. People need to select their photos on screens and need to pay for them with uh, payment uh, terminals. Um, so I think 
pivoting from being a SaaS company focusing only on technology uh, and adding hardware to build our own ecosystem, um, that really made a big difference. And also, um, one of the feedback that we got from everyone that we were talking to is like, uh, after COVID, we will have a real struggle uh, to get everything back up and running because we have limited people working and we cannot scale our teams. Mm -hmm. So we started focusing on making the system as seamless as possible with as less human interaction as possible. Mm -hmm. um, so I think those two things really benefit our yeah, comeback. And are you obsessed with your product? Yes. Yeah, yeah I think if you would ask uh, maybe a little bit too much, um, people can say 100 positive things about it and you know I feel good about it um, and one person says something you know negative or gives feedback I immediately feel the urge to go back to the drawing board to see why does he feel that way why does he uh, um, think that way you know how could I you know change that product uh, to make it better or when I see a customer uh, buying a photo that says hey you know it wasn't clear to me then why why you know wasn't it clear to him um, and I'm more focused on that one person that has that negative uh, interaction uh, compared to the 999 people around that person that have positive interact interaction so yeah product driven for sure <laughs> so that that actually sounds that you're like more like a product owner type instead of a CEO. So is that also your biggest strength? Um, and also my um, biggest weakness, because as a um, business owner, you are really forced sometimes in a CEO role, uh, which is hard um, for me as, at least. Um, but yeah, for sure, I like the product side a lot more. Uh, than uh, anything else. I like the commercial part of it, you know, selling the product, putting it out there, tell people about it. Um, but working with the team, creating that product, even inst installing our product uh, in attractions and, and theme parks around the world, it, yeah, it brings the most joy to me. And at some point you decided to stop focusing on the Netherlands and Europe and move to the USA. And that's actually a big step, and I see many companies failing doing that. What was your motivation behind this? It's the American dream. Of course, the entertainment industry in the US is, is huge. They have, I think, 70% of all attractions and theme park visitors are focused in the US, um, followed by Asia, Australia, and then, and then Europe. So we're actually uh, one of the smallest Western markets that there is. Yeah, if you make it in the US, you can make it everywhere. That's uh, you know how I always see it and I saw it. Um, and entering the US market is a really hard thing to do. So as soon as you get that chance, then yeah, you go for that opportunity. So it's also a personal dream. It's not just the market opportunity. It's not just that you saw that the market there is way bigger and therefore the chances of success are higher. Is it also like you personally just want to make it in the US? Yeah, yeah. The U.S. is uh, is in some way a benchmark, of course, especially in the entertainment industry. You know, the Disney parks, and the end goal is Disney. Yeah, you know, they're the biggest park. You know, tens of millions of visitors going each year to that park, having a, a magical time, and capturing those visitors' uh, photos and supplying them to them. You know, that will last for decades and decades. People will be remembered. Uh, when watching those photos um, long you know, after they're gone. 
to provide a system and a technology behind that to capture those moments, those magical moments that in the end is the end goal. So, so what was your journey to actually get into that market? Actually, there were two moments um, that actually changed the course of our focus. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, like I said, COVID brought us a whole new perspective of what we wanted to do with the product. So one of the things that we started to do is make self-order kiosks so people can actually go to an order kiosk to select their photos and purchase them without an employee uh, standing there. We didn't have that kiosk yet, but we had the designs and you know, we thought, you know what, just put it on a website and we'll build it, mm -hmm. uh, but let's put it on a website and see if there's you know, any interest in the market. And then uh, a big attraction in the US actually were Googling um, self-order kiosk photo and they typed it in Google and they landed on our uh, website. And then they reached out to us and said, hey, um, we got the task of going into the market and find self-order systems for food and beverage, ticketing, photos, because after COVID, employees will be hard to get, uh, will be very expensive. We need to cut costs. So we're looking for more self-order systems. I see you provide them for photos. Can you explain me more about that? And this was actually a large US attraction. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, we at that point, you see the opening. Yeah, but, but getting attention from the US is something different than actually signing a contract with them. So was that any different than having a customer in the Netherlands or in Europe? Yes, of course. Uh, the US, um, they're big companies. They don't trial. The biggest difference in the Netherlands versus the US is in the Netherlands, we say, okay, let's start a partnership. We try it out for three months and then we see if that's okay. So you get really quick from um, starting a discussion to your deal and then a trial period. And in the US, it's the other way around. They will first try you out and uh, you need to visit them. You need to convince them. And it takes a year before you land that deal. But once they are convinced that you are the one uh, that they want, um, they'll go for it. No, the, mm. the other way around. They trial you before they actually sign a deal. Um, and that's, I think, the biggest difference. Right. And now I think we are about like two years after COVID and you're two years uh, operating in the US. And you already managed to secure funding from one of the top five players in the entertainment industry. Uh, how did you achieve that? by talking about your dreams and your goals. I think that that's the most important thing. You always have to uh, be open of you know where you want to be uh, in five or 10 years. The opportunities, they don't come you know by themselves. You always have to be open uh, to receive them, but you also need to put the word out. And when the, we started discussing with the attractions um, to integrate our system uh, in the US, um, they said, okay, but you know, Are you able to maintain the system in the US? Because you're a Dutch company. Um, will you be still around in two or three years uh, as a Dutch company? Because we're going to invest a lot of time and effort to bring your product into our attractions. You know, how um, sure are you um, that you will be still around? And then I told them about um, that I have to focus on the US mm -hmm. and that actually our main goal is to be big in the US and everything else. And yeah, at that part, we started talking about you know scaling in the US and everything else. And the discussion went in, in a different direction. And where are you looking for a financial investor or a strategic investor, or maybe you didn't actually have a plan, so? No, we didn't actually have a plan. 
Um, but uh, I knew for sure that a financial injection uh, wouldn't cut the deal. Mm-hmm. You need a strategic partner in the U.S. to grow there. Uh, it's a different market. It's a different way of doing business. And um, the U.S. is big. So um, you can make it in New York, but it doesn't say anything. Um, so you need a company that actually knows all those markets within the U.S. Uh, that already has an established name as well um, that will gain trust. Um, so a strategic partner is probably more valuable than any cash injection that you can get. And, and what's your process actually for making such risky decisions? How do you how do you approach this? Uh, pray? No, <laughs> I think, uh, of course, the, uh, you need to make big decisions, uh, but I think a lot goes um, towards uh, how you feel about it. Your gut feeling is something you always uh, need to trust. If something feels off, don't do it. Even if it's a lot of money, don't do it. It's uh, your, your gut will tell you where to go. And uh, I always believe that. And in this case, uh, um, This particular company is not only a really good client, they have amazing attractions, um, amazing people working there. Um, You can see that by the fact that every person that you talk to within that company is already working there for eight years, 10 years, 17 years. We had a dinner with them and and then you see that people are so dedicated to be with a company um, and work for them, then you know they're a good partner as well. Yeah, well, that must give you a lot of energy and confidence, I guess. And what are your customers you're most grateful for? Um, I think the biggest compliment I always get is that I'm really involved. Um, you know, we're hardworking, and I think that's a really important thing. You really have to focus on your client, what they need, um, listen to them, and take them very serious. I think if you do that, then uh, yeah, you're, you get really happy clients. So, Daniel, what has your company given you? Well, it gave me all ends of the spectrum, the biggest highs and the lowest lows. Um, The lowest lows obviously during the COVID time, uh, feeling that everything uh, slips away. The highest high that, yeah, something you dream of uh, is actually becoming reality. Um, I think those uh, ends of the spectrum is, you know, what I live for. Uh, My life motto is also, um, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. So I'm always searching for, you know, what's next and the lowest lows will also is, is also your comfort zone but it's out the the, yeah, the downside of your comfort zone but it also triggers you again to think about uh, things in a different way mm-hmm. and when you're in the other spe- uh, end of the spectrum it goes the same way so I think yeah, that's what the company really brings and what has been your favorite moment in the company's growth I think scaling the team we've been working really hard uh, with um, a really small team to get where we are um, but building a team and you know getting all these different disciplines uh, on board um, experienced people people with great knowledge that add to your product um, actually that's something you know that's very enjoyable and uh, yeah very nice to watch and also makes you yeah makes you more um, evolved with everything, but it also gives you more room to actually work with your product instead of doing your own accountancy on a Friday afternoon, um, booking the invoices, or yeah, you can actually outsource the, the things that you're not good at and give them to someone that actually brings their expertise and their knowledge to the table and make it bigger and better. Yeah. And do you have a mentor or did you ever get like life-changing advice? Well, 
of course my dad um i think he will always be my biggest mentor uh, in everything i think the life-changing advice is not an advice he gave me it's something he said to me that always um uh, that still sticks to me and it was i think we were talking uh, late night and uh, at some point he teared up a little bit we were talking about success and he teared up a little bit and he said well with all the money that i made in my life uh, the only thing i cannot buy back is the time that i miss with you guys and yeah i think that it was something that was um that touched me really hard and really sticks to me till this day because i have kids myself and uh, yeah time is something you know it goes by and you cannot get it back and i think that's the advice everyone should actually you know put in their head um because <laughs> it's the most valuable thing that there is in life yeah i can see it still touches you actually so what is your personal definition of success I think it's around the same topic, Um, buying time. Um, If people say, you know, what would you buy now with your money? It's not the BMW uh, that I bought with my first money. Uh, It's time. It's uh, I would not buy uh, a sports car, um, a two seater. I would buy a family car. And um, for the money that I then uh, save, I would probably get a driver so I can video call during uh, those hours that I'm in the car uh, with my kids or work uh, so I can be more involved at home when I get there. Um, So if you have the opportunity um, to buy time, not clean your own apartment, uh, not drive your own car, uh, all stuff like that, um, and you know, invest that time in family and friends that you then gain, I think then you're really rich. And your definition of success for GoPhoto, your company, when would you be happy? Um, I would be happy if, it's, uh, if GoPhoto is the benchmark in the industry. Um, I think this is something uh, that we try to aim for. You know, we should be challenging all the other companies uh, to be as good as us. Um, yeah, I think then then we yeah then we then we are where we need so, to be. So, how many years do you give yourself to achieve that? Oof, I didn't think about that, but uh, five, maybe ten max. <laughs> and have you given up on any other dreams to pursue this? No, I don't think I gave up uh, other dreams. I'm always someone that lives in the moment. Uh, don't plan too far ahead, um, which is also sometimes a weakness. Um, but no, I didn't give anything up to get to where I am. I think uh, the most important thing uh, that you know I always try to remember is that the time that has that's in the past is in the past. So you always need to look look forward. So, yeah. If, if you have the feeling you gave up on something, then you need to create something new in the future that you can work towards too and focus on that. Yeah. And I think your journey is an absolute roller coaster. But is your work-life balance still okay for you? Or do you feel the same as your father maybe felt? No, I think uh, I'm more invested in my, uh, in my family um, than my father was. Um, I think also with the nowadays technology, video calling, uh, you can still be more in touch with the family even when you're on the road. So that's a big difference, of course. Um, Also, traveling is faster. The world has become really smaller in that sense. Um, But I do try um, to spend more time in the weekends and be there and present 
uh, when I'm at home, which is still a challenge because you're building a company. So, of course, when uh, five minutes before you leave, you get a phone call that's not so nice, you bring that energy uh, into your home. Um, but yeah, you really need to be focused on getting rid of that because in two hours, the kids will be in bed and you can go back to that problem. Yeah. And, and what part of parenthood would you say influences your style as a CEO? Did you get milder? Yes, of course. I think every dad gets milder. <laughs> um, you understand that every person has his own needs uh, and his own way of doing. Um, and with kids, you understand it even better. Um, and you need to work around that. You need to work with that. And as soon as you understand what they need and to really listen, although it's sometimes hard um, to you know, understand them, um, then you see that they actually also uh, are easier to get around with and also they grow faster. So I think that uh, that's something that you learn as a parent. Yeah. And if you didn't have GoPhoto in your life right now, what would you be doing? Fishing. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, probably traveling the world. If uh, Yeah, absolutely. And would you start this company again? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, we measure our success not only by profits, but by smiles uh, that we capture. And um, this is something, you know, we build a tech company, but what we're actually doing is we are um, just capturing those magical moments uh, that, you know, people uh, have at those attractions and theme parks. And that's something that is more important than anything else. Obviously, uh, making a lot of profit uh, for our clients uh, is also a really big pillar. Uh, otherwise, we cannot grow. Um, but in the end, seeing all those smiles and all those people printing those photos, which nowadays is not a very common thing to see. But if you see that there are thousands of uh, photos printed every weekend, uh, um, you know, at different locations, then that brings uh, a lot of joy. That sounds like a great sales pitch, man, but I, but I believe you. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have an attraction, so I can't buy it. But uh, you are 41 years old right now. And what will you be doing when you're 50? Ooh, well, I definitely want to be at that point more focusing on um, the product side of GoPhoto and not being, you know, really in the scaling uh, mode anymore. Um, at some point, I really, I, I want to be still involved uh, with, you know, the technology and, and involving the, the, the platform. Um, but I hope in nine years time, I don't need to be in the operation, day-to-day -day operation anymore. Of course, along the way, you probably also make some mistakes. So maybe you would like to share your three biggest fuck-ups with us. Uh, buy a BMW <laughs> with your first money instead of investing it. I think uh, investing money uh, as soon as you earn it is one of the mistakes everyone makes. Uh, if you make your first money, the the people that uh, find a, um, uh, a way to directly uh, divert the money into an investment plan or uh, buying bricks or something else, it will give you a, a foundation personally. And I think that's a mistake that I always uh, uh, that I that I made. Um, I made a lot of money in the beginning, but I spent it all. So as soon as there was uh, um, there were times that it wasn't going as as good as I wanted to go, then you feel a lot of stress and a lot of pressure because it also hits you personally. Um, you know, am I still able to live here uh, in this house in four or five months if I'm going in this direction? So you didn't create any buffers? No, 
No, and I think uh, now I did, but uh, um, of course COVID came, and then you see that how mm. important it is that you have something like yeah. that, because yeah. otherwise uh, you cannot go with, uh, on with the same motivation. All right, makes sense. And anything else? I think failure is part of um, um, becoming uh, good in what you do. I don't trust business people that never went bankrupt. Because everyone, every real entrepreneur went bankrupt with one of his companies at some point. And if you are that one hit wonder, then I don't trust you because, I don't know, that's something, failure is part of that, that process of yeah. becoming successful. So I don't see failure as something that's uh, wrong. So it's also hard to remember what are the real failures. All right. So to conclude this episode today, Daniel, what would be your best advice to our listeners who are also scaling their company? Um, best advice, patience, have patience. It's a really uh, long way to go. Sometimes people focus more on the investment and then the, they move completely away from their product or uh, where it's actually uh, all about. Uh, be patient, things take time. I'm also not a really patient person, but I, you learn, you know, your time will come. And I think that's the, the biggest thing. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for sharing your pretty amazing journey here. In my opinion, Daniel is one of the greatest examples of an entrepreneur with a very clear vision, an amazing focus on his product, who just kept removing all obstacles in the user experience until he finally found a full product market fit. I can only praise his nine year long persistence here, especially in those extremely difficult years that are past us. In the next episode, I'll have a new inspiring guest from the SaaS industry. So I hope all of you will tune in again. Thank you for listening and have a great day.